0: Well, hello, and good evening to you. Those of you that are able to join me tonight, I welcome you, and I thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat's very dry tonight, so I may be doing a good bit of clearing of my throat. I'll try to keep that to a minimum, if at all possible. But I want to welcome you tonight, and I uh, appreciate those of you that have supported this ministry and have been a part of these, this series Thank you so much, and I trust that these have been a blessing to you, and let's get into tonight's lesson. We will um, end Volume 1 tonight of our series, Run, Kitty, Run, Exploring the Names of God, and we can pick this back up and take on some other names in Volume 2. This is just a sampling. We've only done 12 lessons so far, and there are so many other aspects to the names of God that I want to cover with you and so many we haven't even touched Jehovah Jireh for instance or El Shaddai or some of those others that are more well known and so we have we have many yet to get to and perhaps God will open the door and and allow us to go back into this series and do volume two at a later date. I'd love to consider some other topics as well some other Bible study with you and um So please know that this is just a sampling to get us started. Let's pray, and then we'll get started with tonight's lesson. Father, I give you thanks and praise for this day. I thank you, Father, for all that you are doing and have done and will yet do. I thank you, Father, for this, um, this good day you've blessed us with, and I thank you for this evening. I thank you for this study. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we've been able to Look into some of the names of God in this study. And I pray that, that I've been able to speak on your behalf in a manner that blesses people and in a manner that touches them and feeds them from your word. For your word is the living word. This is not about me. It's about you. And it's about you reaching people and, and using me as a vessel to do that. And so, Father, I just yield myself to you right now and ask that you would do it again. Father, I pray that you would anoint me as your servant tonight and that, Father, you would speak through me words of life, words that are spirit and life, that will bless the people that hear. And, Father, I pray in Jesus' name all of these things, and I pray you receive all of the glory and all of the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to you as you join in. I'm glad to have you with us. I'd like to talk with us tonight and end Volume 1 of our series. Tonight with El Olam, the everlasting or the eternal God, and so to understand this, I'd like for us to first think about the very first time that it's used in Scripture. So when we first find this, this is actually sometime in in Genesis after Isaac has been weaned and prior. <coughs> excuse me, prior to Genesis. 22, when he was about 30 years old, Some, sometime maybe within that time frame of 23 to 27 year time frame before he turns 30. Because when he gets weaned, he's probably in the neighborhood of three to five years old. That was typical at that time. So let's understand when Abram, Abraham had this encounter with God and called upon the name of El Alam or the eternal God. So to understand this, let's consider a little bit of the backstory. Hagar and Ishmael have been sent away by Abraham and Sarah with God's confirmation. If you want to understand this, now this, Hagar ran away the first time, but she now is sent away. And to understand that more fully, I encourage you to read Galatians chapter 4, and it explains this in much more detail. But Abram and Sarah now have, Abram has, Abraham has this second encounter with a man named Abimelech. And so the very first encounter we find was in Genesis chapter 20. They had met and made peace um, the first time about Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Abimelech now knows that Abraham is a special man anointed of God. Abimelech was king of Gerar, which was a Philistine kingdom in that time, but he seemed to have respect and a fear of some kind for the true God. He also hears God's testimony and affirmation that Abraham is a prophet of God. So this leaves Abimelech with a respect for Abraham. Abimelech confronts Abram with the wrong about Sarah when Sarah and Abraham had lied about her being his sister and that kind of thing. Abraham explains that to him. And Abimelech, like I said, now has confirmation from God that Abraham, or Abimelech has confirmation from God that Abraham is a special prophet of this living God that he's encountered. So while Sarah was there, God halted the women from conceiving. And so Abimelech asked Abraham to pray for him, and Abraham does. So now they leave and they seem to be at peace. I'd like to read now from Genesis chapter 21 when we see Abraham's second encounter with this man called Abimelech. And we're going to begin reading in Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34. And it says this, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus, they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a teramisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So here we find the first time that someone has encountered God and called upon him as the everlasting God. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. Isaac was born and has now been weaned. He's possibly now maybe three to five years old, something like that. Hagar and Ishmael had to leave, and there's a bit of a rift here between Abraham and Abimelech. And so even after they had made that first pact of peace, now there seems to be a rift over this well. The problem being that these Philistines seized one of Abraham's wells in the land of Beersheba that Abraham had dug and they were trying to steal it. So, Abraham and Abimelech make another peace pact by swearing an oath. Now, the word for oath in scripture is actually the word that means to seven oneself or it's, it's talking about seven. We understand this that seven is a special number In God's book because it signifies perfection and um, completion of things completeness and so when they would make an oath it was to seven oneself and there was a sincerity to the oath that was proven so they could either um, do or say seven things that would prove the sincerity of their oath so what happens here is that Abraham proves his sincerity for this oath by giving to Abimelech seven ewe lambs. Now the importance of that is this. Those were valuable to Abraham because he could then use those ewe lambs to produce other sheep. And so it was something that proved his sincerity because he gave Abimelech something of value. So when they did this, they named the place Be'er Sheba, or well of the oath or well of the sevenfold oath. That's what it means. So the name of the town signifies this whole oath that Abraham and Abimelech have made over this well. But what I want to really get to now is what Abraham does. After Abimelech leaves, Abraham does two things. He plants a tamarisk tree. It's called in, in my particular version. And he calls on the name of God as everlasting God, or El Olam. And when it talks in scripture about someone calling on the name of the Lord, it means that they are confessing him as that. They are proclaiming him. It's, it's an act of confession and putting their faith in him. It's recognition of God as the everlasting God, calling out or crying out to him as the God God eternal, God everlasting. So let's talk about these two things for just a moment. First of all, the tamarisk trees. Anne Spangler speaks of this tree and what Abraham did. She speaks of how wells in that day and in that land were very valuable because it was desert land. And so the tamarisk tree would suck suck up lots of water. So in other words, Abraham by planting a tamarisk tree, his faith is in that the God who provided this well would also provide a bountiful supply from it of water. The tamarisk tree grows quickly and reproduces through many seeds in its flower flowers and it is tough to kill. It's very sturdy and durable So it lasts, and it seems to be one of the hardiest of trees. So there also, it was one that was long-lived and evergreen. It never died off, never faded or waned in strength or beauty. So this tree seems very fitting for Abraham to plant a tree, connecting it with the everlasting God, or El Olam so let's understand who el Olam is it's translated in bibles as god everlasting or a god eternal the everlasting god the eternal god welcome as you join in it's the god the always god the god who continually and eternally exists in the distant past and future i'd like to read psalm verse uh, chapter 90 verse 2 right now to you and it says this before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting you are god elohim so this always god this eternal god is talking about the God who, it's. it reminds me of a number line. If you remember from school, the number line, it would have negative numbers all the way that way and there was no end. It had an arrow at the end of it because it could go on and on and on and on and on. And then it would have positive numbers this way and it had an arrow at the end because it could go on and on and on and on and on this way. This is what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 90. God is from everlasting to everlasting. There's no end, past or future. He is always the one who continually and eternally exists. He's the God of the ages, the God of all time, the unchangeable God, the God of eternity. It carries the idea of endlessness and limitless. There's no limits. There's no bounds to him. There's no restrictions in time or in space, either forward or backwards. He is outside of time and space. As a matter of fact, he created time, and time will end one day, but he continues forever and ever and ever, just like that number line that we spoke about. It keeps going back, keeps going forward. Hallelujah. He has no end and no restriction and no limit. This word also speaks of the hidden or the concealed. I love the theological word book of the Old Testament says this. It's what is hidden in the distant future or in the distant past. That that is concealed, out of mind. That that is an unlimited continuance. Welcome as you join in. It speaks of the one who has no beginning and no end. The God for whom one day is the same as or like 1,000 years. And 1,000 years to him is the same as or like one day. It's the God who is lasting, the God who is forever. It represents the fullness of the experience of time or space. Hallelujah. By planting the tamarisk tree at this well of the oath, Beersheba, Abraham was confessing and calling on God to secure and fulfill his eternal covenant promise to Abraham. God had promised him the son that he now had, Isaac. God had also promised him the land. So in essence, what Abraham was doing here is staking his claim on the property that God had promised him and believing God for the eternal promise of the land that he had decreed. So Abraham is confessing and believing God to be eternal, reliable, steadfast, honorable, and true to his word continually, no matter how long it takes. He's the God of the ages or the God of the dispensations. By calling on El Olam, Abraham, who could not see into the future dispensation when all of his descendants would receive God's eternal promises and dwell in the land and be there, Abraham couldn't see that, but by calling on El Olam, he was appealing to the one who could—the only one who could see into that future dispensation of time, in order to bring to pass what he had promised. Hallelujah! That's encouraging for us as we believe promise, as we believe God for promises He's made to us that may well be in the future to come to fruition, perhaps for our children or for our grandchildren. We can't see into the future to see those come to pass. But El Alam can. He's the God who sees the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. And the beginning from the end. He's like, remember, in one other lesson I spoke about the example of the parade. And if you're in a blimp high above the parade, you can see from beginning to end everything. And you know its order, and you know its progression, and you know the start, and you know the finish. God is similarly like that. That's just an analogy to use as an illustration. El Alam speaks to us about how he is the God of history. He stands outside of history. No matter how far we go backward to the earliest of times, he was there before that. No matter how far we would go forward into the future, he will be there forever. He controls history, but is not controlled or limited by it. There was never a time when God was not. He sees the end from the beginning and is never taken by surprise at any event that arises. That's a comforting thought also, because many times things happen In life and we hit bumps in the road we weren't expecting or we have circumstances hit us that take us by surprise and yet nothing takes God by surprise he saw it all ahead of time and he knows it all and that's comforting because that gives us the assurance that he already has us in in the palm of his hand to carry us through or he already knows the route that we need to take to get out of that circumstance or to avoid that danger or whatever the case may be, hallelujah. So El Olam is beautiful to us. It also testifies to us of the everlasting God, and Spangler says, who cannot be displaced by other gods and whose purpose and plans hold firm forever. He's the one whose days never end, nor did they ever begin. Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days, the one of continuous, long duration of days and ages of time. This also speaks to us about how he is the Unchangeable One. Wycliffe Bible Commentary explains how Abraham was soon going to march off the pages of history, but his God, El the Unchangeable Eternal One, would remain. Murphy defines it this way. He says he's the sure and able performer of his promise. And Matthew Henry that many people respect. And the beloved Matthew Henry says this, the everlasting God who was before all worlds and will be when time and days shall be no more. Hallelujah. Also, El Olam speaks to us about the Veiled One or the hidden or concealed one. The New Testament speaks of him as being the mystery. It refers to him being the mystery behind the veil. In the tabernacle, when you had the veil of the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the most holy place bore the sacred presence of God. That's where God would come and dwell between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. And the pillar of fire and cloud would come down. It would, it would be, I'm certain, an awe-inspiring sight to behold. And so his seat, his his throne, his place of dwelling was behind the veil. It was hidden and veiled from the sight of the people. What they could see was only the portion of the glory cloud that would that would be above the tabernacle. But they weren't able to see his very presence. In Colossians, chapter 1 i want to look at that scripture with you real quick colossians chapter 1 i want to just read verses 26 and 27 and it says this he says the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints to them god willed to make known What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it carries this idea of the mystery. And even in Mark 4, 10 and 11, when Jesus was explaining about the parable of the sower, he had used the parable of the sower. And he speaks to them, to his disciples, and he's telling them that this is speaking about a mystery that is only for those who are God's, to understand. So to me, this carries the idea of not just that God is eternal, unchanging, and continuous, but also it's the idea of the hidden, concealed, or secret aspects of this unending God, drawing us to seek him, to know him more fully, and discover more of him by spending time with him in the secret place. If you'll remember, in Psalm 91.1, it talked about those that abide in, in the secret place of the Most High will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. So God is showing us in Scripture that there are some things that are reserved. He reserves some secret things for those who are going to seek him out for deeper revelation, it's kind of like a daddy or a mama who might play hide and seek and hide away from the child, but in reality, they want the child to come and seek and find them. It's, it's just a, it's, it's not a game. I don't mean that to sound like that, that this with God is a game, but I'm simply using this as an illustration. It's like that daddy who, who is really wanting that child to come and seek him out. So he might go and hide, hoping that the child will come and find him. And that's kind of the the thought that I'm trying to communicate here, is that in this hidden aspect of El Olam, it's like he's not trying to hide himself from us, but he's going to reveal certain things to those who are going to be serious about seeking him out. So he's trying to draw us into that secret place with him where we will seek him. Hallelujah. Now, consider this in light of Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2. And it says in Matthew 17, verse 1, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And we know then that Moses and Elijah joined him, and we have that story um, there that's told to us. But my point here is showing that Jesus in his flesh was veiled. The glory of God couldn't be seen in its entirety because of the veil of his flesh. But on that particular day, Peter, James, and John were able to see it was as if the veil was peeled back for that moment and his glory, the splendor Of who he is and his majesty and his glory and his brilliance shone through in that moment so the El Olam was very well seen remember El Olam remember we talked about Elohim and all that is true of God the Father is also true of God the Son it's also true of God the Holy Spirit so Jesus also was this eternal God in his glory and the flesh veiled him but in that instance he became that mystery that was able to be seen by those three, they saw this mystery that was behind the veil of his flesh. Hallelujah. And lastly, I want to point out that, that this word, ElOlam, also speaks to us about the inexhaustible one, the one that has eternal energy and efficiency. Now, many of us have seen the commercials on TV about that Energizer Bunny. Well, if if you want to think about it this way, think about this being the Energizer Bunny on unending steroids. He never stops, and he never tires. He has inexhaustible energy and efficiency. The Bible speaks about this in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28. It says this, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So here, we, he never grows tired. He never grows weary. He doesn't have to sleep like we do because our bodies wear out. He doesn't wear out. He never grows weary. Everlasting God being that unchanged, unchangeable, inexhaustible being. Listen to this. Alexander McLaren says this who spends and is not spent. Think about that. He spends, but he is not spent. He gives and he's none the poorer because of it. He lives with no tendency toward death in his life. He has, he flames and he blazes with flame with no tendency for extinction in that blaze. This speaks of how he is everlasting in every aspect and part of his being. Think about that. He gives and he's never poorer for giving. He pours out and he's never lacking because he poured out. If I held a pitcher here and I poured out and I turned the pitcher back over, it's going to be less in water or whatever I was pouring. There'd be a space where what I poured out is lacking. But imagine God who can pour and pour and pour. He can pour into me and he can pour into you at the same time. And he can pour into a million other people at the same time. And when you set the pitcher back up, there's no lack is still just as full. He's none the poorer for giving and for pouring into us. He lives and has no tendency toward death whatsoever. There's another author that describes it this way. He says, mark it down. God never gets tired. The everlasting God's everlasting energy ensures every promise. A lot of alliteration there. But let me repeat that one more time. The everlasting God's everlasting energy ensures every promise. Creationist Henry Morris makes this comment. He says, the available energy of the creation may decrease in accordance with the law of entropy, but the power of the almighty creator who imposed that law on his creation because of sin does not run down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is eternal I love this I love this inexhaustible energy and efficiency about God because this speaks to me about his unending work that never tires him he is going to relentlessly accomplish his work in you and in me on your behalf and on my behalf. He has everlasting energy and everlasting efficiency in his work. What a comfort that is. He never takes a vacation. He never slumbers or sleeps. He never needs to slumber or sleep. He is continually working. And in Philippians 2.13, it speaks to us about what he's doing when he's continually working. That tells us that he is working in us both to will or to want to do and to do his will to actually do the work he's called us to do and obey jesus taught us that it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom hallelujah and he also speaks to us in philippians 1 6 and it says this paul is writing here and he says being confident of this Very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will, will, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the ever efficient, eternally working God who spends and is unspent, who gives and is none the poorer because of it this is why paul could absolutely make that statement and believe it entirely because god is eternal everlasting and therefore he will accomplish what he said we are all works in progress and our master builder never quits this is good news for us because we have a lot more to improve or to change we have children to see turned around for him We have needs to be met, we have desires to be fulfilled, and we have work to do. The good news is that our God, this everlasting God, is the one who can and will perform his eternal promises, and he will never tire, he will never give up, he will never quit, and he will never stop until he does. What an absolute comfort for us So I encourage you, whatever rhema word God has given to you, I don't care how old it is and how long you may have been holding on to it, if you know it to be a living word from God for you and you are in covenant relationship with him as his child, then you cling to that and confess that word as true and sure, trusting the Lord for the timing, and for the way and method he will choose to do it. Believe your God to bring it to pass. For instance, just as one example, one that I am believing God for is on behalf of the promises he's made to me about my children. And one of those that became a rhema word for me is found in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5. David, this is part of David's last words, some of the last things that he spoke, and he's speaking of God's promise to his family. And I believe that God made this a rhema living word for me as well, because God's word is multifunctional and multi-applicational, even when it's addressed to specific people in the scriptures. And in verse 5, David makes this statement. Although my house is not so with God. In other words, they may not be right with God. They may not be correct and exactly where they need to be with God. He declares this. He said, yet he, God, has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Beloved, I'm believing God on, my, on behalf of my own family and even family members that would come later when, when I may be dead and gone. And I'm believing God that this everlasting covenant he made with me, my everlasting God has made it. And he's the one who is constantly, efficiently, ever working and he is working with efficiency. So my confidence is in him And the word he's promised to me. I believe in praying the word. I believe that it's a powerful thing. And when we do that, we are confessing his word. And we are bringing our prayers and our will and our desires into agreement with him. And he will bind himself because he's the faithful God. But he's the the everlasting God, El Olam, the one who will bring it to pass. So El Olam, the everlasting God, shows us that we are not alone in the work. He actually works tirelessly on us so that we will know him in the secret place and see his veiled glory in an intimate relationship with him. And he will perform what he has promised because he is the unchangeable and eternal God. He is El Olam. I'd like to pray with us. Father, I pray that you will take this word and I pray that it will become a living word for those who hear. And that you will draw them into the secret place to seek you out because that's what you desire. And I pray that they will more and more see the everlasting, eternally, efficiently working God who is working on their behalf and in them to draw them into a deeper relationship with you. I pray that they will know you, Father. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to thank you so much for joining with me on this series. I'm ending it tonight in volume one. Again, thank you. This first volume is just a sampling. It is just a sampling of this awesome God that we serve. And so my hope, is that this has encouraged you to get to know God more and more and more. And I thank you for that. And also I pray that any that have heard me in any of these lessons, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you are not in covenant with him, I pray that you will make that choice and you will make that decision. He offers you the gift of salvation, but you must receive it. And two, he says that to as many as will receive it and receive him, they have the right, the privilege, and the blessing of being children of God and beginning to know him as Abba Father. So I pray that you will do that if you've not done that yet. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, doesn't matter where you've been in the past. I want to leave you with this word. Jesus loves you and he welcomes you to come to know him as his and as him, as Lord and Savior. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. Will you let him? Will you invite him in? Will you accept him? And he wants to draw you into a beautiful, wonderful covenant relationship. So I pray for all of you that have heard me, and I pray that you will grow deeper in love with Jesus and into a close relationship with him, because my life and my love and my ministry, this is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can have that more and more and more fully, and I pray that you will. May God bless you. Again, please feel free to leave me comments Send me messages, and, uh, and we will see where God directs us in the future. Thank you again for joining me. God bless you tonight. In Jesus' name, God bless.